Blog Talk Radio. Season in Los Angeles, basically 90, close to 90,000 at the Coliseum. Um, that was just an amazing game. Uh, great comeback by the Rams against the Cowboys. Probably the, the best game of the preseason so far. Uh, welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio, UltimateSportsTalk.com. Alongside, uh, I believe it's Troy Wilson. To, uh, Troy, are you on? Yes, sir. How's it going? All right. So, uh, Troy, uh, uh, take us a little bit into the road. We were going to talk about Hall of Fame, so we'll go into the Hall of Fame a little bit in in a couple minutes here. But let's uh, let's talk NFL preseason. What stood out here? Uh, let's go Redskins first and see how you thought they came out this weekend. Well, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to see was how our defensive line was going to equip themselves and, and also how the secondary was going to play. I saw some good and some bad of both of them. Uh, number one, the secondary. Some of the players that we had last year 
um, who stepped up. Um, they look like they kind of, you know, took a few steps back, but then you also saw some uh, undrafted rookies uh, show up. The defensive line, a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, they still look like they have the same problems, though, can't stop the run, and they can't run the ball. So that's my concern. I know it's early in the preseason. But it looks like more of the same from last year. Kirk Cousins, you know, he in short work, he looked he looked sharp. You know, he was five for five for I believe like thirty one yards. I'll take that. So I mean, overall, I was happy with it. Uh, one of the things, if we, since we were talking about the Rams, I got to bring up, you know, my guy Nelson Spruce, you know, wide receiver out of Colorado. Listen, you guys have a fair favorite on your hand. They were feeding this kid to rock, but if, if, if those who don't know about Nelson Spruce at Colorado, he's a Pac-10's all-time, a Pac-12 all-time receiver. And the guy played hurt all last year, but he still managed to, to, to get himself on the field. He's got great hands. You saw some of the great catches he made during the game. The, the, the Rams needed a receiver. They needed a bunch of receivers. And they have a nice little, uh, you know, a little cash of receivers there. But that, that's one of those guys who's going to be your Wes Welker type. you got to get that kid on the field. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be a fan favorite for years to come for that team. Yeah, it was pretty impressive uh, in all aspects of it. Kind of surprising that, um, that Goff didn't play as well and that Keenum didn't play as well and early on as it was. Uh, but I was blown away by – by Sean Mannion. I mean, I think he's evolved after year two in the system. And I think he's probably, if anything, uh, would be the number two starter if Keenum doesn't step up. But, uh, I mean, the comeback was pretty impressive by th- those two, um, you know, Mannion to, uh, to Spruce. So that was very impressive. Hey, Mannion was sharp. I mean, he's your, you know, he's a big kid. They, they got him out of Oregon State. He, he played really well for the Beavers up there in, uh, in, in Corvallis. I mean, to watch him kind of take that next step, it, it looks like one of you know the Rams have one of those good problems on their hands. They got they got some good quarterbacks playing back there. Case Keenum came out of Houston, you know, had an up and down pro career, but he's a serviceable guy, a guy you could use at a pinch. They're penciling him in to start uh, until the young rookie is ready. But I like the, I agree with you. I like what I saw at Emmanuel. I was I was actually looking at him. Um, I guess it was maybe two years ago when the Redskins were possibly in the market for a backup quarterback. We didn't know if we were going to keep Kirk Cousins. That was a guy I was looking at and hoping that they kind of you know facilitated something to get him. But the, where he landed at is the perfect spot for him because he can actually raise some eyebrows out there, and it's not really a rush for you guys to start the rookie at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if Mannion sees time on the field this year, maybe in pinch duty, but if he gets a chance to see it, see time with the first guys, I think you're really going to see a guy that can actually move the ball up and down the field. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that's – and that's the key right there because – uh, the way they were running the ball, and, and and this is not full full blown yet, you know, because everybody was testing everybody out. But for the majority of the, uh, you know, the majority of the preseason, I was just blown away that there was ninety thousand people, almost ninety thousand people in Los Angeles to watch a preseason game. That was just mind blowing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, listen, man, look, you know, when was the last time the the L.A. had football? Uh, you know, so it was. It's been a while. So these guys were all excited, you know. They get to pile into the Coliseum a little bit. That was that was a great that was a great day out there. So it was great to see that. 
I cannot wait to, until week one. But listen, for me, preseason is fine with me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still going to enjoy every single game. I've been trying to watch all the games on NFL Network as much as I could because, again, I'm a football junkie. So, you know, I'm, it, it's, it's just a great time of the year. This is the best time of year for me. Yeah, and I think that's the key right now is just kind of evaluating everybody that's stepping up and who's going to step up. Uh, Sayo, I was very impressed with. Good pressure, gets around the corners very good. Um, you know, it's very nice addition to that. It looks like from the from the uh, um, the scheduling and all the draft and the roster that's on there. Um, you know, on my team, it looks like there's a lot of uh, Division three, lower Division two players that are really you know, hungry to step up in the limelight. And that's where most of your Hall of Famers come from anyways. I mean, they don't come from Division One schools. It's very rare. The percentage usually comes from a hungrier, you know, mentality, which is somebody that's just looking for that opportunity. Yeah, it's funny how that works, isn't it? I mean, think about it. What do they say? Um, uh, pressure creates diamonds. So, I mean, these guys that have all the pressure in the world try to make a team – and, and the odds are against them. They're up against guys that are being paid millions of dollars as soon as they even enter the league. They haven't put on a jersey yet. They're already millionaires. And you're playing against these guys and competing against these guys. These guys are a little bit more hungry. And that's just, you know, it's kind of the way it goes, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Um, if, if you look at an animal in, in the jungle, a lion, and then you have that, you know, you have another young lion that's out there. That that lion hasn't eaten. He's more desperate. He's willing to put more more risk than the lion out there who who hasn't, you know, he, he's been eating good and he's already full. He's not out there running as hard. And so that young lion, these young lions that they have, these are the guys that are the, the hungriest, and they're willing to put everything on the line to to you know to to succeed in the NFL. And you saw that on the line pretty much on, almost in every aspect. I'm somewhat impressed with the Browns, with RG3 now. I'm um, just kind of interested to see how they're going to evolve him. Uh, more of a passing spread offense. Um, they do have some receivers there. So uh, I don't know if, you know, it looks like it might be a good fit there for him. Yeah. You know, you got Josh Gordon. He's coming back. He was a huge play guy two years ago. Uh, he, I mean, he might have been. I mean, he might have been up there with Megatron as far as like you know, uh, just just his skill set and what he brings to the table with physical size and speed and hands. And you know, you know, he he some bad things befell him. Most of them self inflicted. You know, dealing with drugs and and alcohol and things of that nature. Hopefully, he gets his stuff together because this guy is an ultimate ultimate talent. And RG three needs that guy. I mean, the, the, he needs as many weapons as he as he can get, and I just like the way he came out. He did throw an interception, but I did like the way that he competed, and at least he went ahead and took a shot and wasn't afraid to do so. Where I felt like in Washington, he was a little bit more gun shy. He was more have to hold on to the ball because he didn't want to make a mistake. I actually think it was a good thing that he threw the interception because it shows that he's not afraid to at least put it down the field and make it and take a shot. Yeah, it was good to see him kind of, you know, in a – it looked like more of a prolific passing game or aggressive, like a no-huddle type mentality. So, uh, if they get going on that, it looks to me like this would be the season for them to compete against, you know, the, uh, the Bengals, the Steelers, and, um, you know, the Ravens in that division. So, uh, it might be at some point now competitive. But 
I don't know. You know, it's still a battle there as well. Um, Josh Norman in Washington. So your two cents to that. I mean, at this point, it's a defensive move, I guess, to try to get trying to get the Redskins back into uh, you know a higher higher ranking in terms of defense. So what do you think of that? What Josh Norman brings is something that Washington hasn't had in a long time since Champ Bailey and Daryl Green is a top flight corner and arguably the best corner in the, in the game. So when the Redskins picked him up, I was ecstatic. I was, it, was, it was great. But he also has to understand that when you come to Washington, now the dynamic is different. In Carolina, he didn't have that much pressure. Uh, you know, Carolina was a great team, but they were not as much of a visible team, at least in the local market, as the Washington Redskins are. He's going to find out really quick how crazy and fickle these fans are because the, the second he gets out of position or he gives up a pass play or he or if he gives up a touchdown, the fans are going to be all over him. The media is going to be all over him. That's kind of what this town does. But to his credit, and, and that's the type of mentality that you have to have as a corner, is you have to forget any bad plays that you've had. I think with his mentality, it fits right in well. Well, at least initially I did until he started getting criticism from the local media as far as, like, doing a, um, a take telecast on Saturday, which, you know, everyone's making a big deal about it, saying that he should basically, um, you know, concentrate on being a corner for the Washington Redskins instead of worrying about doing television, you know, um, uh, television appearances. And so he's found out a little bit, you know, what it's like, and then it kind of ruffled his feathers a little bit. So I I was kind of thinking back by it, but I think when it comes to to playing on the football field, I think he'll do fine out there. And then also at the same time, he's got Bashar Breeland on the other side, great up-and-coming corner. He would have been our best corner if Josh Norman didn't show up, and he still may be one of our better players on the team. Yeah, I think it's an uh, it's a good asset for them, uh, given the NFC uh, the NFC East, when you got the Giants and you, and you got everybody Philadelphia. Um, so I mean, it's it's a good pickup in that way. But how he will transition there, the media. I mean, from Washington to the Northeast media is so more. So more highly critical of everything. I mean, uh, you know, it's just it's what it is. It's magnified, and that's because it's so intense. You know what I mean? To it's a neck and neck all the time, and and it's old rivalries too. So it means a lot more than it would be in the NFC South, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, he'll find that out quick. And then the other part of it is the receivers that he's going to face in the NFC East uh, twice a year are a lot different from the guys he's going to face that he faced in the NFC South. I mean, you he would face some bigger guys. Um uh Julio Jones about 6'4. Um uh what's his name? Vincent Jackson. Uh he's 6'5, you know, down in Tampa Bay. I mean, uh Colston who, who was down in uh New Orleans. He was about he's about 6'4. But now you're facing these I mean, you got Des Bryant who's 6'2 and he's probably the biggest guy he's going to face. I mean, uh, you know, Beckham, he's a smaller guy, and he's a lot faster. And then he's, in practice, he has to see Deshaun Jackson, so that's getting him prepared for that. You got the, you know, the, the wide receivers, in, you know, for uh, you got Nelson Aguilar, and you got Matthews up there. They just picked up Doriel Beckham Green from the, from the Tennessee Titans today. So 
it's going to be a bit of a transition as far as, like, how to deal with those type of players. But I think it's a good thing that he has to go up against Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon in practice because that will give him, you know, that advantage as far as, like, learning how to deal with players with that type of speed. And there's nobody in the league that runs like Deshaun Jackson. So that's a good uh, practice habit for him. Yeah, I think that's a key right there as well. Um, so before we dive into uh, um, the uh, Hall of Fame here, I don't think Nkishi is going to be joining us today. She had some other things going on. So we'll look forward to her next week and uh, going from there. But uh, we're, we're going to go solo today. So just you, uh, just the boys today. So it's always a good thing, I guess, in a way. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, Nkishi. Um But uh, it's – you know, uh, let's let's go into let's go into the women's uh, women's game first here, and then we'll dive into the Hall of Fame, like we talked about earlier. Um, a lot of a lot of things on stake this weekend. Uh, there was the Sugar and Spice Football League, and their their Super Bowl championship was on the line as well uh, this weekend. And the uh, Harlington uh, the Harling, uh, Harlington Honeys, who at one point during the season inaugural season at that were five and one in the and finished five and one. They get to face they get to face the uh, Texas Lady um, Jaguars who were undefeated all season long, and so they were the 2015 champions at at that. And so the Honeys end up uh, winning 19 to eight on a defensive matchup. And so we got to give them congratulations to the uh, 2016 Sugar and Spice Football League uh, champions, the Harlingen Honeys. So it looks like uh, the uh, the matchup was a really good matchup. Uh, the Jag, uh, Jaguars pretty much owned most of the season, and they were very untested. Pretty good test here. Halogen had met them before and had lost, so this was this was the big test for them coming into the game, and it just showed that obviously they wanted it a little bit more in 1908. So um, Melissa Rios out there. Uh, one of the uh, uh, things that you'll see on our Twitter feed, uh, her raising the championship trophy as well as on our Facebook page. So you can go check out the uh, reviews on that and the kind of the highlights, uh, waiting for the recap from the official site and, and see what it was. There was a video there where the local station from CVS down in uh, Rio Grande Valley covered the highlights of the game. So you can watch the video there on our Facebook page as well. So congratulations to the Sugar and Spice 2016 champions, the ha- uh, Harlingen Honeys. So, uh, Troy, a, a pretty good pretty good season for them in the first year and you would think you know pretty tough but they they muster sort of the same way that the divas lost in week two against the elite uh the a, the honeys ended up losing in the regular season to the jaguars and all of a sudden here you go redemption when it, when it mattered the most which is for the trophy yeah and you know it's it's kind of you know what happens is is at least in my opinion, is if a team goes in and they play an upper echelon team and they hang with them pretty well, or even if they don't, now they have a feel for what they're working with. And then you also have that edge of you don't want to lose again. And, again, that's where your leadership comes into play. That's where your coaching comes into play. To prepare for a team that you already lost to, for me, it's, it's excellent. You know, it, you don't get, always get a chance to get. You always you hear the cliche all the time. You don't get second chances in life. Well, in, in football, sometimes you do. Whether you play a team in the playoffs or you play a team in your division and you, they beat you the first time, you get another crack at them. So that's the beauty of the sport. And congratulations to them as well. 
Yeah, and it, it was you know kind of exciting to see a uh, first-year team make it all the way. They had some players that I had, I had played on other teams, but when the team was founded, obviously uh, they all migrated there. So there was some experience on the team, but the majority of it was just it's got to be thrilling for them to come up on come up on top. So congratulations to them. The other uh, endeavor was over in Finland as the uh, the Finnish league, the Maple League finals, and that incorporated the uh, Turku Trojans to take on the Helsinki Roosters in the final and the Maple League uh, inaugural uh, final. And so it was a great matchup to start with. Uh, the final match, it was pretty much a defensive start. Uh, you know, it was the Roosters scored the first uh, first touchdown uh, by quarterback Santa Jarvinian, and the, the team carried the ball to, you know, to the 35-yard line, seven-yard line. I'm reading her off off the finish uh, recap that we have here that was sent to us. So I thank uh, those folks in Finland for sending us the actual game recap. So quarterback Jarvanen uh, carried a self-running uh, game to the end zone in the first quarter in the final seconds. Uh, the Rooster defense stopped the Trojan attack uh, with uh, Jenny Linden's turn. Uh, she transported the ball up to 12 yards from the Turku goal line. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a struggle by Turku at the beginning. Uh, Turku not falling on a successful, you know, attack. And before halftime, uh, Jana Gemanina Seals grabbed quarterback Jervinda's pass and crossed the ball to the uh, to the goal line, making the Roosters uh, to an 18 to zero lead. Uh, so they were up up there before halftime, 18 to zero. Uh, Turku coming in had a pretty good defense and also a very good offense. But unfortunately, uh, the Roosters had an answer for that. So in the second half, the Trojans uh, ended up going on the you know the attack. However, uh, running back Leah Kozla, 35 yards, uh, you know, into the game there in the second half started off. So uh, it was she plays for the Indy Crash of the WFA. So actually, a U.S. import playing in in the Finnish league, which is awesome. And then T. Tomasalan and Hendrika uh, Sergeberg pushed. Uh, into the Turku uh, side of things, stopped the attack by Kozla, and so there was the defensive front. Uh, next, it was quarterback Zana Jarvinen, who you can see on our uh, image on our gallery at the Instagram site at Gridiron Beauties, and congratulations to her. And Jenny Linden, who carried the attack in the second half and proceeded to just kind of put it on, you know, in more of a fashion of scoring. So Linden ran away with it offensively, carried the ball. Um, so it was just a matter of them getting up to, you know, scoring. So it was between her and Linden, Jarvanen and Linden. Uh, and so the Helsinki Roosters, uh, based on their offensive assault and attack, uh, gave away to a 26-0 victory. They're winning the uh, SAJL uh, uh, finish uh, championship, the 2016 championship. So congratulations to the Helsinki Roosters for their amazing season, perfect season, undefeated in in the uh, in the campaign. So there you go, Troy. Another uh, historic story here. Perfect season. They had a great battle between the two teams. They met in season as well. Sort of the same story, like I said, with the like the elite and the divas. So it's always nice to have that. Unfortunately, uh, the Trojans uh, were not able to have their number even in the finals. So it was kind of a, you know, a donut for them, but it didn't mean that they didn't play well. They just did not uh, execute offensively and uh, give credit to the Roosters for putting up a great defensive uh, game plan. 
Yeah, congratulations to the Roosters. You know, uh, undefeated season that that never gets old. Love to hear that. I mean, it's you know to to go one season and you go undefeated and then you go into the next season. Don't don't even remember how to lose. That's a great feeling to have. Yeah, nine wins, zero losses for the Roosters. Um, so congratulations to Coach uh, Jarmo Lottie uh, out there in Helsinki on their uh, 2016 championship. Uh, really a tremendous effort on that. Also to the Trojan women for playing amazing football. They come in second. Uh, so the Trojan women, uh, you know, managed, uh, you know, the Roosters managed three scores, and they're just too much for uh, Turku. So, but uh, congratulations to them on a great season, too, finishing second in the season. So, um, it's always a good thing, and they should improve next year as well. So, and then uh, we should have Leah Kozla. Uh, she's coming back to the States within a, maybe a week or two, and we will uh, have her on the show so she can give us her take on the experience of playing in the Finnish Maple League out there with the um, Turku Trojans. So, that'll be exciting, too. Absolutely, can't wait. We'd like to hear about some overseas, um, you know, how they do things overseas and the you know, differences between the American uh, way of football and then how they do things over there in Finland. So I have plenty of questions to ask once she gets here. Now, Troy, we're going to go into Legends this weekend. And I'm, uh, I, if you saw the game on YouTube, you were somewhat impressed, if not completely impressed. But let me go back in, in time when uh, Mr. Wilson said, we are resting the Chris Ferrari Del Harris for the opportune time to, uh, you know, return to the uh, Legends Cup. And uh, on point you are, Troy, because in this game, they really sort of used this game in a lot of ways where it was schemed in that way to where they were going to use her here where it was a more important battle against Atlanta whether they were, you know, they tuned her up in, um, as you pointed out before, against Omaha for the tuner there. And so they bring her into play here. Uh, unfortunately, the steam came in with no Lauren Ziegler. Big factor there, X factor. And so I think that was the key on, the, on one, one side of the ball and on the other side. But I am so impressed uh, with the Aussie quarterback that, uh, you know, uh, at this point she has done so much so much good things with this Bliss team. And, you know, given the fact that the Bliss had uh, Heather Furr, you sort of forget that there was even a Heather Furr in Chicago, not to, you know, downgrade that. But, you know, with the same token, she's played so well this season, you got to give credit to, um, you know, the offensive coordinator for the Bliss, Coach Keith Hack, who's actually going to be nominated. He's being nominated for the Hall of Fame for the Legends Hall of Fame this year. Um, so he might be the one to get in. He's been with the league since 2009, since he, and he played in the first game in Chicago uh, against the Miami Caliente. So, uh, Troy, you called it. I mean, they were just resting, resting the Ferrari. And at this point, um, you know, the Atlanta Steam, they were up the whole game. And then all of a sudden, they just explode. They, they just explode on themselves. They they physically just don't have the demeanor to stay composed, and all of a sudden, you know, Chicago got in their heads. Yeah, and you know what, you, you kind of saw that, um, you know, during the game. You start you started to see that kind of unfold. I mean, in the first half, they were you know, fighting and you know doing a whole lot of trash talking, and you know, we used to always say, well, my coach used to always say, 
listen, it's no point in jumping up and down screaming at a guy because you just basically you're wasting energy at that point. You want to save your energy for the rest of the game. You know, if you get you get your chance to get the guy back. But there was a lot of chipping, a lot of fighting on both sides, really. But it was more so from Atlanta side, and you get why. You know, you got to kind of you know bone yourself up a little bit because they know they lost four straight to this team. They haven't beaten Chicago, and you know, so they were pretty excited. But you saw that start to go down, and, and you know, by the, by the third quarter, you start to see that Atlanta team start to slow down a little bit. And I just think they ran out of gas. I mean, you won the fourth quarter, it looked like they literally ran out of gas. And it was an incredible game. Well-fought game. Uh, well, I'm saying well-played game. <laughs> but there was a lot of fighting during that game. But, you know, I just love the way that they, they competed out there. Chris Dell Harris, uh, yeah, I, I just it just felt like that's what they wanted to do, you know. I mean, she's a fantastic player, definitely a Hall of Fame player uh, when that time comes around. And they really wanted to get her the ball. And I like the way that they game plan, especially in the first quarter. It was actually the, the antithesis of Atlanta, where Atlanta came out running Brittany Demery. Um, and the first drive, it was almost exclusively Brittany Demery. I mean, they gave it to the big running back. She plowed ahead. She went ahead and scored. And then the first play for Chicago, they went right over the top with Tamar Fennell because they were expecting Chris Dell Harris. So then, you know, the next possession, Atlanta's expecting, you know, more passing game, and they just give it to Chris Dell Harris, and she's just pounding and pounding and pounding. And to her credit, she is one of the tougher running backs that you're going to see in all of women's football. And, you know, she, she definitely acquitted herself. And you got you got to give a shout-out to Brittany Demery also. She is a monster. She is an absolute monster. So uh, it was a it was a great game, fantastic game to watch. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, please take a look at that on YouTube. It was a great game to watch. Now the you know the third quarter sort of revved up the bliss, and then uh, it was it was kind of smack talk by Adrian Purnell. She uh, somewhat got injured on one of the pass plays, and it looked like it was a knee uh, either a knee sprain or something of that nature. She did come back into the game to do that, but it just seemed like, um, you know, Barkley has really good control of this offense, and she's very composed, and so I think that was the difference there. You saw once after the second half, Keith Hack uh, said to the, to the Bliss, we got to put pressure on this. They're just bouncing you around. They're just treating you like stepchildren, you know what I mean? You, you got you right. to put pressure. And as soon as they brought pressure to Dakota Hughes, the, the Demery uh, running game was working somewhat well because they, she was still be able to, she was able to, you know, get through the line, but they turned it, uh, the bliss turned it up in the second half. Uh, Chantel Taylor, Joshie Rice. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they just sort of just put it up on another level. They held, they held the running game to a certain extent. They forced Dakota to, to kind of use the passing game. And all of a sudden, you know, you were getting drop balls. You weren't getting that connections anymore. So I think the difference was there. They got either intimidated and based on the fact that they were, you know, they were beaten, uh, you know, they were talking smack. Like you said, the first two quarters, they were just, you know, up ahead and they thought they had this in, in, in the bag. And, uh, but, you know, this goes to show you, uh, you know, what championships teams do. I mean, this is a lot of the uh, uh, players on the defensive side of the bliss have won two championships with this team, so they know what it takes to, to come back. Yeah, and, and you know, going over the game, I, 
I, I started to see that, you know, as you said, they wanted to, you know, pass the ball a little bit more. That that kind of played against what their strength was. I mean, Brittany Demery wasn't slowing down. They just, you know, sort of stopped handing her the ball as much. I mean, she maybe she looked maybe she did look a little bit gassed. But listen, this is you know you, you're playing championship football here. You got to give it a run. I mean, so I, I just felt like they kind of got away from what their strength was. As you said, their their top wide receiver is down. You got to go ahead and go with your strength at that point. And and I believe that the running game is their strength. I know Dakota is is, is a great quarterback, and she definitely acquitted herself this year. And to put herself in that into that conversation as one of the top quarterbacks in this league. But you still got to – I just believe that if they would have continued to run the ball, they'd have put more pressure on, on, on the bliss. And I just think they kind of got away from that in the second half. Well, excuse me, at the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. And then to Chicago's credit, I mean, again, they continue to run the ball. Yeah, Chris Del Harris. You know, you continue to feed her the rock, and they—I think they played the game plan correctly. But I think you got to look at it like this: the bliss was definitely in the steam's head. They were. I mean, you know, just the—you know—the trash. So you can tell by the way the team trash talked to you whether or not you're in the head or not. They're trying to psych themselves out on this, and it just seemed like that the steam kind of got talked out of their game. Yeah, and the problem with the center play was all – that was the issue most of the game, especially when they went to shotgun. There was issues there with the ball being th- overthrown uh, over Dakota, underthrown to her feet, uh, a lot of the stuff. So you could tell that the pressure was getting to uh, Dina Wojowski there at the, be- at the beginning of the third quarter and almost the fourth. And when they started to come back in the late fourth quarter under with under 10 minutes to go, um, you could start to see that Atlanta just – started to see that they, it, it was getting away, especially when the defensive, you know, the Bliss's defensive front was a lot stronger in containing uh, the run game. So that was the key there. And you could see Dane Robinson's face. It was all over the fact that, oh, my God, we're just – we're about to let it go, you know what I mean, after an impressive two quarters. And and C- Coach Hack always seems to be in control, very key, low-key, seems to, you know, get that message out to his team. And so – I think the halftime message really got to the bliss in that sense. Yeah, and also the thing to me is so many turn I mean not turnovers, but uh with with penalties, especially at the end of the third quarter. Uh you had a holding penalty, you had an offsides penalty. I mean, you can't do those things, especially when you're in a red zone, you're ready to score, you you're continuously backing yourself up. You're putting yourself in a harder position. And then you, and then now you're out of options because when you start backing up like that, and then you're starting to get the third and third and long, they know you're going to throw again down the wide receiver. You know they're going to play great pass defense at that point. They're not even worried about the run. So I mean, it, you kind of play right into their hands when you make mistakes like that. Yeah, and in the fourth quarter, you could see just uh, Dane Robinson just completely just you know losing it because he had this. You know, they had issues, and then they, they were, I think at one point, uh, they were even penalizing themselves back. <laughs> it was just it was right. as funny as you can get there. <laughs> you know, they were just, eh, let's just go back five more yards. And, um, okay, I don't think anybody under – I don't think anybody conveyed to them that this is only a 50-yard field and that there's a point where you get too far 
<laughs> and you're giving the opposing <laughs> opposing team real good field position. Uh, so it's it's kind of crucial, you know what I mean? You don't want to give up too much. But infractions yeah. in that sense, that's what caused them the game. So this weekend, Troy, uh, will it be a different story, or are we going to see this, the same uh, result? Because they own this team. They're 5-0. and oh. Since Atlanta came into the league, they've played them five times. And as of last week, the Chicago Bliss, this is not a rivalry. This is basically they own them. They own this team. They get into this team's head. They understand how to do it. Coach Hack understands. And Coach Hack has been on record to say he hates Atlanta. And he, there's no way he's going to lose to Atlanta. Just, I think it's just because the Atlanta girls are so passionate and out and vocal about it that he just, he just wants to just put it in the dagger with the, with the W every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to – if you feel like that about – if you hate the team that much, I mean, that, that, that's when you put out your best game plan. You used to see that all the time with, you know, um, uh, coaches like Buddy Ryan, uh, where, where teams that – where you had a head coach that, that could not stand Buddy Ryan. Um, they used to game plan so well for his teams when they were coming in. And – or the same thing with Jerry Glanville. A lot of a lot of coaches hated that guy, so they would put out their best game plan. So I think that's what Coach Hack is going on about this one here. I do think it's going to be more the same. I just think it's a bliss to have their number. Um, I think it's going to be six straight. I think this team is still going to come out there and they're going to play well because, again, this is a talented team. Uh, they're an extremely talented team. I, I mean, I actually love the way that they play, but they just make way too many mistakes, way too many mental mistakes. The things that, you know, you can – they're easily correctable. And they continue to make those same mistakes, but I just think that the Bliss is the more uh, polished team. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, we'll go. We'll let's 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 play a little bit of what Coach Hack said at halftime. You know what the coach just told me? I thought you had better middle linebacker. They're getting five to six yards of crap running right up the middle of the field. Right up the middle of the field. You know what that means? It's real simple. It's called football. Big ball is football. I know it's a bad analogy right now, but you guys don't have big balls. They get pushed right off the line of scrimmage. Nerves are on. So there you go, Troy. Big balls football. What do you think? <laughs> there was there was some issues with uh, anatomically incorrect comments during that whole game. So <laughs> you, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna exactly say what was being said on the field, but it was. It, it was it was very interesting to say the least, but nonetheless, exactly. He he has to find a way to motivate his team, and what better way than to, to you know talk about with somebody that somebody's saying that your team or your players just aren't as good, and they expected something different. I mean that that would definitely piss me off if I'm a player. So I mean he 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 knows how to push push the right button, and he knows his team. So for him to go about it that way, I think it was worth. And just the fact that, you know, he did correct himself. You know, he did say this is probably not in the in the right frame of mind to tell girls this, but uh, let's put it in football context, right, because we're all football players here, and that's what it is. You know, you had to step up. And and uh, and to, to have a player like the center of the team on the opposing team just basically saying, hey, we're, we're just kicking your ass, and, and you're just not doing anything about it, uh, I guess that's – 
you know, there, there's almost a Hall of Fame coach right there. So I guess we can quote him on that, but probably not a, not the best quote he wants to be quoted for. <laughs> well, it was entertaining to say the least. So at this point, Troy, so this is right. It's it is it is the steam's game to win, and it doesn't necessarily mean the Bliss have to come in and you know lay down, but but it is the pressure is on Atlanta at this point, right? I mean they they have been owned. So this is now for the Eastern Conference Championship. It is for the birth to the Legends Cup. So at this point, that it, everything's on the line. So you got to come and bring your best game, or you're going to be a laughingstock once again. Or at this point, it'll be a six and zero. Oh, you own them. So you, it's like it, they're going to stay in your head. Yeah, it's, it's squarely the pressure squarely on them, squarely on them, and and they know it. it it's nothing to hide from. I guess the the difference is is will Atlanta embrace it? Um, some some people embrace the pressure. Some people embrace the challenge. How are they going to respond to it? I mean, you know, as you said, you've been owned by this team. This team has beaten you every single time you stepped on the field with. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, that's the, that's the case right now. So uh, the other game we got to talk about is uh, the Dallas Desire taking on the Seattle Miss. The Dallas Desire uh, won 26-21. Dallas has played tremendous ball, even though they lost to Los Angeles. They win the Western Conference um, at this point, so they're Western Conference champs. So now the underdog Miss, even though they're the champs, they're playing at Shower Center, which is their home arena, uh, K.K. Matheny, Danica Brace, Jessica Hopkins, uh, LaChandra Fowler, taking on Jay Randall, Victoria Thomas, um, you know, Michelle Angel, and uh, Nicole Peterson. So, I mean, uh, this this is probably the game that everybody did not did not expect this year, that Dallas would be in this, in this situation. So, um, Troy, you call Dallas as a very good team. They proved it against Seattle on June 18th. At their house, and so now they go on the road in in Seattle, and this is for the Legends Cup berth on the Western side. So, um, do you think Seattle at this point understands that this team is capable of beating them? Oh, absolutely. I, I think Seattle is they're the consummate heart of the champion team. Um, they're not they're not the biggest team, but they execute and. You know, they they seem to always be in position. It seemed like that last game that they played against Dallas, take nothing away from Dallas, Dallas beat them. They beat them straight up. But Seattle just seemed kind of out of sorts in that game. And, again, I'm not making excuses for, for their performance because, uh, you know, I've seen Seattle play. I've seen them, you know, beat this uh, great Bliss team, um, you know, this season as well. But I just think that the way that they execute, the way that they play the game of football, I just think that kind of bodes well to it. Dallas, in my opinion, they should have been like for the LA for the game against the Temptation. That they were the better team. They were better than the Temptation, but the Temptation had that kind of leadership. They had, you know, they had great people in great positions. You have the same dynamic with Seattle. I mean, KK Matheny is a great leader. She's a great quarterback. So they're going to have to go up there to Seattle. They're going to have to do it again. 
Seattle, I'm pretty sure, is is chomping at the bit to get one more shot at Dallas because they did beat them, and they also took the conference crown, even though, you know, Seattle's getting a home game out of this. But I just think that Seattle, it bodes well for Seattle, uh, you know, to win this game here because they've they've played them, but they know they, they can also compete with Dallas. Can they stop Victoria Thomas? That is the absolute key. Yeah, I'm just going to play a little bit of a promo that we had for the first, I think, for the first game when they first met. So we'll go through a little promo and then we'll talk about it more in depth here. And that right there was Chris uh, Chris Michelson, the coach, uh, who's also been nominated for the Hall of Fame induction. Um, so Troy, you know, Seattle and Dallas looks looks to be a rivalry of you know sort of the Bliss and Atlanta at this point. Uh, but you know, Dallas doesn't seem to be scared at this point. Uh, the Bullet Brothers, we got to give them credit at this point for this season. Um, you know, they're obviously NFL pedigree from Indianapolis and all that and pro football. So they've done a great job with the amount of talent that they had in this on this team, and they've put it together to where now they're very competitive. And to win a Western Conference championship in their first coaching season, that's got to – says volume for them. Yeah, absolutely. And the way they – you know, I think sort of the same, around the, uh, same lines as the Blitz did, um, as far as like wrestling, Chris Dale Harris, but I mean, uh, Victoria Thomas did play in those games, but they didn't overuse her, you know. And I think what they are going to do is they're gearing up for her to take the brunt of the load. Now, that's not to say that Dallas doesn't have other talented players, but you got to give the ball to your horse. I mean, you got to give the ball to your best player. This is the this is that time of year where you do that. I think that's their best chance to win. Um, you know, for the for Dallas to to, to go in there and into Seattle and win that game, I just think. It, but on the other hand, Seattle has to know that coming in. How are you going to game plan? How are you going to scheme for that offense? Because Dallas is ultra talented. Yeah, you got to you got to put that in perspective at this point. Um, they had obviously the the, the chance. You know, to to come in and play. I mean, they, they, the Seattle has been playing pretty well ball, but they haven't been tested besides Los Angeles, and I think this is their biggest test in in terms of the West. Now you see an equal footing. You basically have another Los Angeles in a lot of ways, in terms of a of a matchup. Um, I think this is where on the other side of the coast that we just talked about the Bliss and the Steam, where the Steam has had not been tested all season. You know, they blew out. Uh, Omaha, they get a cancellation game against the Liberty. And so now, uh, you know, the steam, basically, the real test was last week. And now their second real test is going to be this week. And then they faced the temptation. So three real tests. And it looks to me like Atlanta is in the loss column in each one when they're, be- when they're being faced with a real competitive test. It, it does. But I, I guess the only thing – that they they would have in their favor, and they they have to emphasize this point is how competitive they were. 
So they have to know when they look back at the film why they lost. Is it because the team physically beat them down, or is it because they beat themselves? Is it because of mistakes that they made, um, being out of position, uh, scheme-wise? These are things that are correctable. You know, it's not as if they are devoid of talent. So I think that's the one thing that the team has to rest, that has to hang their hat on, is that they are a, a, a talented team and they're a competitive team. And I just think when you, you put all the chips down at that point, that's what you have to look at it from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, and like I said earlier, the Bullock brothers have done a tremendous job in Dallas. I mean, they they put their passion and heart, off-season conditioning as well. you got to give them credit. Uh, they put together a nice offensive game plan for Michelle Angel. She's been doing well. A balanced offense with Victoria Thomas, and you got the, you know, the uh, – obviously the elusive and real good threat of Jay Randall on there. So, um, you know, the running game balance, Nicole Peterson, as well as uh, Victoria Thomas, but you got to face, you know, the, the big dogs, uh, Seattle. I know they've been tested before. They know what it's going to take. Uh, Michelson obviously does not want to lose to, uh, you know, a brand new coaching regime in the first year. Uh, but the opportunity is there for them to fall. So what are going to be the keys? What are the keys for Seattle at this point? Is this, Containing the running game at this point more more so than the than the passing attack of the desire. I just think that going into it, they have to know that Victoria they're going to get a healthy dose of Victoria Thomas, and I, I truly believe that Michelle Angel is going to get her shots over the top. But you'll take that, and you you you'll take that. I mean, with their defensive help, you know they they're the Seattle's pretty fast on defense. They're lean, they're fast. Um, they have good play in the secondary. Are they going to be – and I believe that they can keep up with the wide receivers that they have in Dallas. They have, they have some pretty tall uh, girls out there, though. Wow. Yeah, they, they have some height out there in Dallas on, on the wide out position. But I just think if they concentrate on really stuffing the run, and it's easier said than done, especially with these ladies being five yards off the ball, it's, it's easier said than done. But I, I think that's where they have to concentrate their efforts at. And the keys are going to be right there on, in terms of veteran leadership, you've got to give it to Seattle. But uh, in terms of, you know, uh, Michelle Angel hasn't, you know, hasn't, uh, isn't a veteran per se as Seattle, you know, with, with uh, Hopkins and, and Brace. They've been in the league for almost six years. But she's shown so much promise this year that, uh, I mean, at this point, she's, she's really um, exceptional. So, I mean, if you had to give somebody an MVP, if she gets, if she beats Seattle, at this point twice to get to the final. Uh, I mean, I think she's pretty much deserving of league MVP at this point. Who would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I was just saying, you know, and speaking of MVP, um, is Danica Brace going to play in this game? I guess that's the, that's also the key too. Cause um, I think, and I think that was also the key as far as Dallas uh, winning that game is because uh, she went down early in that game. Am I correct when I say that? I think it was Danica Brace that went down early. And, um, yes, it was. She didn't return it. Yeah, she didn't return in that game. So is she going to be healthy? Is she going to be able to play? And, you know, that war of attrition is, is, is nothing to be messed with. So, I mean, and it's the same thing when you go back to Atlanta. Uh, they they have Adrian Purnell this time. Uh, she kind of, you know, uh, landed a little bit awkward on the sideline. Her knee buckled. It was already in, uh, you know, in a little bit of disrepair. So is she going to be available two weeks from now also? 
all of these things are going to factor in as to who's who's possibly going to come out on top of these teams. Now the the test for uh, the test for for Dallas was obviously you know uh, taking on temptation early, and then obviously beating Seattle. Um, so more bad. I think they're ready for this. Uh, I know Seattle is going to be ready because they know what's at stake. Uh, but uh, we got to give you know Dallas. We're hyping up Dallas. I'm hyping up Dallas because I really think that they they've done a tremendous job all season uh, against Los Angeles. Like you said before, they almost won that game as well. I mean, they got beat by one point. Um, so that's, you know, that's competitive football right there. So uh, legends football league, August 20th, Shower center conference championships, Western conference championships. Uh, it's going to be the Se- uh, Dallas desire uh, taking on the Seattle mist for the title there. And then it's going to be the Atlanta Steam once again taking on the Chicago Bliss. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting. The predictions, uh, Mr. Wilson, at this point, uh, will we see Miss Bliss one more time? Or are we going to go with uh, Desire Bliss? Or are we going to go with an upset with uh, Desire Steam? I don't know. Uh, what's your call? I'm going Miss Bliss. Um, I just think those two teams execute the the best out of all the teams I've seen this year. Um, so I think I think those those two teams are going to come out of it. Um, I'd like to see that rematch from uh, they played last year. Is that correct? They played in the championship last year. Yes. And, and I know they played earlier this season, which was a fantastic game. So I I really like to see that that matchup right there. And I want to see if Chicago. Because you know what you what is interesting is is to see if if at, uh, Chicago what they've done to Atlanta if Seattle is going to start doing that to Chicago. So Chicago goes from having a team's number to going against a team that has their number. So you want to see if both of these teams can get over the hump. There are a lot of storylines, a lot of narratives that's going into this, this two weeks from now, and it's going to be exciting to watch all of it. Yeah, and that's the key right there. You got two good quarterbacks, uh, pretty good running game on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I think the interesting game will be probably be Dallas, Dallas taking on um, on Seattle. That would be the interesting game at this point. Um, it's just you know it's so impressive to see the fact that uh, you know uh, Coach Billick, like I said, uh, the Billick brothers out there uh, on deck and really um, put this team on the map early in the Western conference. And it's a pretty tough conference if you, if you think about it. So, um, you know, their game plan obviously is to win the, uh, the legends cup championship in the first year. I mean, that's pretty high standards for them, but you got to give them credit. They've done a good job so far. So um, that's what we expect this weekend, August 20th. And we'll be on Twitter as well. And, and via the uh, LFL, my LFL um, Twitter handle as well. And we'll be following that. Um, and so uh, we'll keep you up to date on terms of the scores and updates, and we'll see who will be the uh, two competitors that are going to go into Saturday, August 27th at Legends Cup in Arizona. It's Scottsdale, Arizona. That's where the, new, the setting's going to be this year. So Troy will ch- chat about that next uh, next weekend as well. It's going to be pretty exciting to recap that. I do not think they're going to have the uh, the video game or the, the, the feed off of it, broadcast feed. I don't think they'll have it that quickly um, on you know, but it'll be the week after the 27th, and then we'll probably watch the Legends Cup the week after the 27th in terms of the recap and all that. 
So it's pretty exciting times there. So congratulations to the Harlingen Honeys for winning the SSFL uh, championship out of Texas and the U.S. And then obviously congratulations to the uh, Helsinki Roosters for winning the uh, the Finland uh, Maple League uh, Maple uh, Series League uh, championship out overseas in the women's recap game. So uh, Troy in the Hall of Fame, uh, two of my you know two of my Rams went into the Hall this year. Um, also a bunch of other real notable players, including an owner that obviously set the, set the bar really high, uh, for the franchise in San Francisco. So, uh, which one of those or a couple of those, uh, you know, stood out to you in terms of, you know, getting nominated and getting inside induction for the yellow, the yellow suit. Well, you got to go with the headliner first. Uh, that's Brett Favre. I mean, we all knew he was going in. Um, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. He's He was one of those quarterbacks where even if you were a fan of another team, you weren't a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you tuned in to watch number four play the game because you just, number one, you love the way he played the game, and number two, you just love the excitement that he brought. I mean, you see the guy jumping around. And he's jumping on top of his teammates. He's you know, just so excited out there. He just makes you excited just to watch him play. So he was one of those must-see football players. And also because he just had so much guts and charisma. He just did not He did not fear making that mistake. And a lot of people kind of, um, you know, down him for that as far as, like, being, he should have been a little bit more conservative. He did. Um, you know, has the most interceptions in NFL history, but that's what you get with that gunslinger. And just the just the term gunslinger alone kind of gives you that. Oh, I gotta I gotta watch this guy, you know. And so Brett Favre to me was 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 the guy I was waiting to go into. You all you you knew he was going in, but he was one of my favorite players to watch. Another guy who was my favorite was Kevin Green. Um, being a young kid, again, I look to the guys who had that charisma, who had that excitement to the way they played. And Kevin Green was one of those wild guys, you know. He had the long flowing hair, and, you know, he would get up and do a sack dance. He'd be screaming, and he's just having fun, you know. And you like to see guys like that. Those are the guys right there who create fans. They're fan creators. They're guys that – you know, bring an excitement to the game and, and show like a, a zeal for just uh, football and life in itself. And so when you see guys like that, you can't help but gravitate toward them. So those are my two favorite guys that I like that, that I saw going in. And you got to give credit. Like we talked about the, the underclassmen, the people that don't stand out during the uh, draft. He was actually a fifth round selected 113th overall in the 85 draft. So there, it goes to show you right there that, like you said, the hunger is a lot more intensified for a you know a player that obviously isn't uh, you know touted and and praised out there for his skills. You just do the work and and you be you know basically put in there. He's he was also a member of the uh, NFL's All Decade team of the '90s. So very impactful player. Um, I just you know I was like you. I was a Ram fan and he was just a beast. Uh, you know, very awesome heart. Uh, one of those guys that just, you know, you love to watch. So, I mean, uh, for, as a DN and a linebacker, that was just, you know, awesome. 
And so, you know, the coach, uh, Dungy, when you talk about coaches, uh, Coach Dungy going in at this point, uh, not surprising so much, but uh, do you think, you know, when we talk about coaches, is there, you know, he, he spent a lot of times assistant with Pittsburgh. He, you know, did his time in the NFL before he got his break. Uh, he took over, I think, the Bucks in 96 uh, and then turned that, you know, turned that team around. Uh, six seasons in Tampa Bay included four trips to the playoffs. And then you go to the um, years in, in, in Indianapolis, which he took the, the Colts to uh, the, I think it was the uh, AFC South division title. I think it's 2006. And so, um, and the big win against the, the uh, New England in the AFC championship and then the victory over the bears in the super bowl. So, um, and you know, historic, if you want to put it a first African-American head coach ever to win a super bowl. So that's, that's a big deal right there. Uh, his overall record, one forty-eight seventy-nine, So six sixty-eight winning percentage. Um, so, I mean, Tony Dungy, I mean, there's not much you can say. I mean, he's got Harrison, Peyton, Manning, a lot of players that have come within that time frame that he was there coaching. Yeah, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, uh, John Lynch. I mean, all of these guys. Oh, yeah. You know, and John John Lynch will get his day. He'll get his day, and, 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 and so will Simeon Rice as well. And for me, Tony Dungy was one of those coaches who I felt like if he would have coached a little bit longer, he would have changed the way uh, coaches approach the game. You didn't uh, – so, you know, I grew up, watching Coach Joe Gibbs. And so all you would hear were the stories about Coach Joe, about, oh, you know, he's um, working well past midnight. I mean, he would he would know it was time to shut it down when he would hear the trash men come picking up the trash, and that would be around like 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, you know, he would say, okay, well, it's time to shut it down, guys, time to turn off the film. And then he would go sleep on the cot in his office, and then he'd get back up at 7 o'clock and then keep grinding and grinding and grinding. And then to watch Tony Dungy, who had a completely different way of looking at it, where he would sit back and say, I'm going home every day and I'm going to spend time with my family. And we're still going to be able to win. And he did. Like, he he still won. Everywhere he went, he changed the culture where he was at. You know, just think about how Tampa Bay, how that franchise, um, uh, how they played before he got there. Think about how Indianapolis was, you know, how they played before they got there. They couldn't get over the hump, you know. And when he got there, he galvanized teams. I mean, and, and just his demeanor alone, where he's not that screaming in-your-face guy, that's not what he does. He's the he's the ultimate player coach, where he doesn't have to scream and yell to, to get his point across. What he does is he teaches, and then his players love him so much that they are afraid to disappoint him. And I just think – not enough coaches take that approach, and I, maybe coaches can't take that approach because, I mean, it takes a real special person uh, to have that type of demeanor and then still be effective at his job. And I just think it's fantastic, and I think it was a great move for him to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Now, on the same on the same lines of that, you have Marvin Harrison right with the coach, which is, you know, kind of just goes hand in hand, right? I mean, you, Marvin uh, out of Syracuse, Outstanding. I mean, if you put him in the in the NFL annals right now, he's only he, I think he finished second to Jerry Rice in in career receptions and most consecutive games with the reception, plus 
most career 100-yard games, which is, I think, close to 60. Um, and then you, ranked in, he's ranked uh, fourth all-time uh, in career touchdowns, ninth all-time at, at, at the time he retired. I think he was 2008 when he retired. Six-time All-Pro, eight-time All-AFC. Um, I think the one thing that stands out for me is the Manning-Harrison connection. It's sort of like, you know, for a Ram fan, it would be 99, you know what I mean, when you had Torrey Holt and Bruce and, and Warner. But here, I think uh, you can't talk about Marvin Harrison unless you talk about Peyton Manning, and it's sort of vice versa in that way. Yeah, and he was just a, he's just a pro, just a professionalist, just, you know, quietly went about his business and did his job. Fantastic, fantastic athlete. I remember watching him in Syracuse where uh, – most some people don't know, but his quarterback at Syracuse was Donovan McNabb, and those, those both both of those guys really just tore it up, and they came into the league you know with that same type of speed, and you had never seen anything like that before. The guy was just he was not only was he just incredibly fast. I mean, running something like four three one four two even, and then still at the same time just being a perfectionist as far as his route running. Put couple that along with the perfectionists of Peyton Manning to, to to make sure that they get it right. The guy was absolutely to me a surefire Hall of Fame. I'm just you know with the wide receiver position being so log jammed as it is, is the only reason why he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I just think it was a long you know it, it was due. He was getting in. There was no doubt about that. Just a fantastic, fantastic wide receiver. The durability on this guy is really the credible thing, right? That the durability. I, I only I only think he missed a handful of games, if that, probably less than five games out of his whole career. So, very durable player, very uh, strategic player, and very methodical player in terms of getting into the gaps and finding those those seams. Um, you know, it credit obviously to Peyton Manning as well to get the ball there, but for the most part, you know, handing, uh, getting the ball, catching the ball, angles, um, deep balls. I mean, he he pretty much did that. I mean, he has. I think uh, on my notes here I have uh, he he has 64 receptions, uh, 836 receiving yards, and a total of I think he had eight touchdowns in a, and he also uh, that's back in his rookie season, and so you, right off the bat right there you could see that he was going to be special, and then he he has I think uh, times, and then over a thousand plus yards plus ten or more touchdowns uh, overall. So uh, I mean, you can't say enough of him. And then the big the big factor in super in the Super Bowl against the Bears, uh, one of the major factors that they won with the Colts, you know, winning that game. So um, congratulations to Marvin. I mean, well deserved to be there as well. Then you have uh, Orlando Pace, who got in as well. Uh, one of my favorite favorite people overall. Um, he's he went through the transition obviously in St. Louis more of a St. Louis Ram than anything, uh, played one year with the Bears in 2009. But other than that, 13 seasons, 169. Uh, he will be remembered as probably one of the key guys for that 99 uh, season as well as the 2001 and the 2000 uh, season that Marshall Falk had uh, in terms of, uh, you know, anchoring that Rams offensive line. So, uh, I mean, just, you know, an outstanding player. Um, not much you can say on there, but you don't normally put – a tackle in the Hall of Fame. You don't think of tackles as big time, but um, you know, in that on that team for for whatever reason, he was a very key component. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, he's one of the best left tackles of all time. I mean, the guy literally had no weaknesses. You couldn't say pass blocking was his weakness. He was a mauler in the run game. Uh, the guy was smart. You couldn't you couldn't beat him off the edge. You couldn't stun on him and, and, and confuse him. He was just a great, great player. And then to watch his feet, you always talk about that with left tackles, how good are their feet, how quick are their feet. And this guy was he was he was a perfectionist. I mean, the guy really put a lot of work into perfecting his craft, especially coming out of Ohio State. Um, to watch him play, he was he was right along the lines of guys like Jonathan Ogden. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know. So just to, I knew he was he, he was absolutely going to be first ballot Hall of Famer. The guy was a fantastic player, so I'm not surprised there at all. Yeah, and, you know, give him credit, he's pretty notable. Uh, He blocked for three straight NFL MVPs, which would be obviously Warner's MVP years and Marshall Falk's MVP year, as well as he uh, anchored the line that, um, obviously part of the line that produced the most passing yards in 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 NFL history, which was at the time when they were there. So, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, congratulations to him and obviously a champion overall because you know winning the Super Bowl on top of all that so it's a great great honor to have him there uh, he was never part of the Los Angeles I think that's unique in that way if you really think about it we had one player from the Los Angeles era for the Rams and one player for the uh, the St. Louis Rams era uh, you know and that's I guess uh, for St. Louis fans that's uh, who, who better to have to be in the Hall of Fame than Orlando Pace to represent them for the years that they were in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Got to give a shout-out to St. Louis on that one. Um, I guess he did say the same thing for Marshall Falk. Uh, he didn't play in L.A., did he? No, I don't believe he did. I think he played no, in, he in didn't. St. Louis. Right. So there's a couple of players that are going to come up for for uh, uh, Hall of Fame. You know, Holt, Bruce, at some point down the road – and they're all St. Louis Rams, so uh, you know St. Louis St. Louis fans are going to be, uh, you know, honored that obviously those players played in in their city and earned their championship there well. than any in anywhere else. So it's great to see that. Um, Ken Stabler, uh, we talk about you know historic because I, I never saw him play because I was too young, and so I, I don't want to make you feel like you're the old guy here, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you know it. He played pretty well in terms of, you know, pretty awesome quarterback. Uh, first quarterback since the AFL-NFL merger to lead a team to five consecutive conference championships. Pretty impressive there. Um, he had pretty much durability. Uh, it was Oakland versus Pittsburgh most of the time, and then the Vikings during that era. He twice led the NFL in TD passes in 74 and 76. And I'm reading this off right off the, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame site because I don't have all the facts for him. He did compile a, a 661 winning percentage within that time frame. Um, so he totaled 27,000 plus yards plus 194 touchdowns. His completion percentage is a 59.85, ranked second all-time at retirement. And um, so, you know, he played for Oakland majority of his career, and then he played for the Oilers and then obviously the Saints. Uh, I'm one of those believers that you don't go beyond the first team that you play if you have a long tenured. Uh, sort of what um, Kevin Grin did here. He made a, he made the, the decision to go in as a Ram versus anything else, uh, and especially in this day and age where you got free agency and people go places and stuff. So it's kind of nice that uh, certain players honor their longer tenure 
uh, you know, stays as their uh, team to be inducted in and be qualified for. So 15 seasons, 184 games, left-handed passer known for exciting and for blowing style, drafted in the second round by the Raiders in 68. Um, so can you speak to uh, Kenny, Ken Stable at this point or not? Yeah, Kenny the Snake, man. I mean, he was he's a legend. I mean, any Oakland Raider fan always talks about the snake, and, you know, he's kind of um, the ultimate Raider. You know, he was um, just just a great, great, great quarterback, and he played under – he's a guy that um, if any of you guys – I'm sure every one of you guys uh, watched football in the 80s and 90s, and you heard John Madden always, Kenny the Snake Stabler when he played there. He would compare most of the – better quarterbacks in the league to that guy and that for that reason. So it, it was actually a long time coming to to not, I mean, to, to have uh, Kenny Stabler in there. If you listen to, uh, you know, players, old players from the, that used to play for the Raiders like George Atkinson, they just felt like it was a travesty not to have this guy in there. And maybe that was a little bit of homer speak. But the guys, you know, he, he won. He won. And that's, the, that's what everyone always compares um, anyone else to. You know, it's the same. Somebody would come back and say, oh, well, did he win Super Bowls? Well, Trent Dilfer won Super Bowls, too. He won a Super Bowl, too. But as you alluded to, five straight conference championship games. I mean, again, he's got a Super Bowl also. So you got to give Ken Stabler the nod. The guy was – he was just a great quarterback, exciting to watch, too. Yeah, and we're going to go dive into your guy, which played for your team, but for the most part played for the Lions which is kind of a kind of rarity that you have a Lions player in the hall. It hasn't happened in a long time. But you've got to give credit to Dick Stanfell, um, guard. He played uh, for Detroit from 52 to 55, and then he played for your Redskins from 56 to 58. Seven seasons, you know, uh, he helped the Lions advance to the NFL championship in his first three seasons that he played. Uh, they won back-to-back world titles in 52 and 53. Um, pretty much everybody uh, mentions him as an outstanding teammate, naming him uh, probably the most valuable player in the 53 championship game. Um, and after four seasons in Detroit, he was traded to the Redskins as part of the Blackbuster four-team deal. And Washington was reunited with college coach and mentor Joe uh, Kukoric, uh, played three seasons in Washington. He continued to be regarded among the NFL's elite players, um, was still at top of his game when he retired to pursue coaching uh, coaching career was voted to four Pro Bowls, was named on the all-decade team of the 50s. So, um, you know, an impressive resume, if anything, for this uh, outstanding individual, Dick Stanfield. Yeah, a little bit before my time. <laughs> but, yeah, just, uh, you know, was before our time. So it's all right. <laughs> right, before our time. But, you know, gotta, you know, of course, it, it should be every year. You know, when the Hall of Fame comes around, as many great players as the Washington Redskins have, there should be at least one player from the Washington Redskins inducted into the Hall of Fame every year. This year was no different. Congratulations to Dick Stanfield posthumously. His son, man, his son is what, what, 6'7"? Did he play ball? Oh, yeah, I mean, 6'7". I was big, oh, yeah. Man, that guy's a big huge. boy. Yeah, I was a big like, boy. Yeah, uh, I will tell you – I will tell you, Troy, on that last comment you made, if we had the Dallas crowd here, it, that wouldn't have gone well, just to let you know. <laughs> I know. I did that especially for her. I hope she's listening. 
I know you did. I was like, I know she's listening. Because <laughs> uh, in her eyes, pretty much there should be a lot of stars in the Hall of, in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, and as a matter of oh, fact, I boy. heard that they're going to put, they're thinking about putting Jerry Jones in next year. I couldn't believe that. I don't think that's, yeah. I think that's uh, really yeah, it's too early for that. I think it's too early for that. Um, let's talk about owners since you talked about Jerry Jones here. Uh, De Bartolo, probably the best owner in the history of the National Football League in terms of in terms of results, in terms of putting a quality branding team. The only bitterness as a Ram fan, I could say, was the salary cap. The way it was manipulated in the early 80s and how that's changed. But I got to give them credit. They played within the rules. They were there, and not everybody else played with those, those rules. So, you know, the hell with everybody else because, you know, they were able to bring in name stars uh, for a season or two, and they were able to incorporate them in their system and obviously be productive and put uh, either, you know, conference championships or in deep into the playoffs or also Super Bowls. So um, he was one of the people that purchased the Niners at a lowest point in the 70s. And so he's the one that brought in, obviously, um, Mr. Walsh in 79, along with the unknown drafted quarterback or the, you know, Notre Dame quarterback, Joe Montana, and created this, uh, you know, conducive winning in San Francisco, Um, 81 being probably the best, the best year. They finished 13 and three to claim the the division title. And that's where it started to roll for everybody else uh, against the Giants and Cowboys and, um, and all that. So in, you know, taking the Bengals out in the Super Bowl, um, he basically, like I said, put together a organization that really was about winning, bringing in twelve uh, quality. And you got to give Bill Walsh and his staff some credit. There's a lot of coaches from the Bill Walsh pedig- uh, pedigree that are now in the NFL everywhere. So he, his team averaged 13 wins per season, including playoffs during a span of 1981 to 1998. That's including the strike of 2000, I mean, of 1982. Uh, During his ownership, the Niners claimed 13 division titles, made the playoffs 16 times, advanced to the NFC Championship 10 times, and was the first ever franchise to win five Lombardis. So uh, just, uh, just as I mentioned all this, uh, we could just throw the mic and drop it right now, pretty much, right? Pretty much. But uh, there is one thing that is always synonymous with uh, Eddie DeBarlo when he was at the helm as an owner of the 49ers. And the one thing that they always used to mention was class. It was an absolute class organization. When the players came in there, and they came in there to be recruited, um, and, and back then they didn't have a salary cap. So he paid his players top dollar you know, for what for what they were worth at that point in time. But it was always class. Like, you walk into the locker room, you know, you have, you know, fresh fruit for the players, fresh food, healthy food. I mean, these guys were top-notch from top to bottom. And then do a comparison, if you look down at uh, how the Bidwells in Arizona operated or how the Spanos family down in San Diego operated, it was a no-brainer. If you got a chance to play for the 49ers, that's where you were going. So when he was at the helm, that's all he wanted. He loved his players. He loved them. like and and the players felt that. When you when you have somebody like that that's in your organization, and they always sit back and say, 
you look at your organization and the first thing, first place you start at is at the top. And when you look at Eddie DeBarfo, that's where they got their cues from. You know, they that, they handle themselves on the field and off the field with class. And that's the, that's the, that is one of the, the – in my opinion, he, of course, I got to throw my old owner in there, uh, Jack Kit Cook, were the best owners that you can have in the NFL. Yeah, and, I mean, his track record is probably never going to be matched at this point. I don't think anybody any, – uh, any other team is going to match his track record. You know what I'm talking about in, in terms of – the five championships, the the way he managed the team, like like you said, players wanting to come to play for the team, it, it is a it is a hard um, thing to replicate. Um, I think over in San Francisco now, even with uh, the 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 ownership there, it's going to be very hard for them to even co- you know come to that level at this point. It yeah, just, it's I, not. I, I don't think it's ever going to be matched. No, I mean, especially with Jed York at the hell. I mean, my God, what, what a, what a, uh, that place is a dumpster fire right now. <laughs> so know well, you know, when, when, pe- when people are, uh, as, uh, as one of my drill sergeants says, when people are handing their guns over and walking away from a fight, it just goes to tell you that the environment isn't very good to fight in. So there I think you that's, go. that's big volumes for the, uh, like you said, at the top of the helm. Um, so, but you know, Eddie Eddie showed uh, what he's able capable of doing, sort of like uh, Mr. Uh, um, what's his, I can't remember his name right now. Um, in in New England, Mr. Kraft, right, Mr. Kraft. So, Mr. Kraft Absolutely. has you know done similar similar to San Francisco in a lot of ways. Um, hasn't won as many Super Bowls, of course, and probably would like to take back that 18 and one loss in the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's yeah. probably not one of those speaking of. You know what I mean? Uh, so and Eddie also, never lost. Got to give it to the Rooney family also in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Rooney's, of course. Yeah, those are the staples right there. The 70s, the Rooney's, the uh, the 80s and early 90s, you got to give it to, obviously, the DeBartolo. Um, Absolutely. And, and the 2000s, the 2000s is pretty much mixed at this point. You know what I mean? Nobody pretty much mm-hmm. owned that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the Hall of Fame was pretty nice. I, I watched it, uh, very emotional speeches. I really got into it. All, all of them. Uh, the thing I like about the Hall of Fame is uh, the fact that everybody expresses the the journey from sacrifice for maybe their parents, uh, grandmothers at times, uh, themselves having to sacrifice to do certain things, single parent homes. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, originality in terms of stories and how these guys just you know took it upon themselves to do things for their family. They knew they had to make the roster. They knew that this would make uh, their whole family situation way better. You know I mean? There was a, there was a drive in other words. That's the thing that I love about the uh, speeches at the hall of fame. The fact that all these guys express a passion for the sport, but ultimately a, a drive to succeed. And then uh, the benefit being obviously uh, benefiting their, their family or at some point applauding somebody that believed in them. You know what I mean? The, the, the fact that somebody truly believed that they, they could get to that level. Uh, that's, it's so inspirational to me. I mean, it, it, sometimes it brings you to tears because you're like, you, you dive into that person's life and you're like, man, the amount of struggle, you know, the, 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 the things that they probably didn't have at the time. And, and we're talking like every, every facet of life, you know what I mean? We're not talking about one individual crowd, but overall, it's a different era, and then when you when you start looking at like, for example, um, 
you know, we just talked about um, an era where we, we, we didn't even witness, you know, uh, Stabler and Stanfill, for example. Um, you know, we don't know what the 50s were like, you know what I'm saying, the intangibles of that. And when you start diving in back to the, to the 40s and 30s, um, you start looking into racial issues with, you know, certain players being on certain teams not allowed to do right on this bus and that bus. You know what I mean? So it kind of brings you back in time, you know, and kind of lets you reflect on the fact that uh, all the blessings that you have now uh, in terms of, you know, how things were so much of a struggle for certain individuals to get to that level. And, and they weren't even getting paid. I mean, a lot of people take it for granted that all these players nowadays get so much money. But back in the day, some of those players, it was a sort of recreational professional because they still had jobs on the side and sort of, you know, it t- takes you back to the day, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, watching and listening to the hardships, I guess that's the part that, you know, that kind of reaches you because what you do is you kind of think, think about the, you know, hardships that you've gone through in your life and, or if you're actually going through the hardships, it'd be even more poignant. Um, so what that does is that shows that lets people know that maybe going through some things that they can make it out of those things because now you have an example as uh, uh, from someone who actually did make it out of it. So I think that's the really important part of it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, when you, get, when you have family, it, it kind of sinks in a lot more because, uh, you know, like yourself, you got kids, and at some point they're going to get to that to that level where they got to go to college and stuff. And the struggle is going to be real because financially you might not be able to support them in that way. And they're going to have to take that road as well to uh, make their own pathway. And if they really want and are passionate about something, they're going to have to find the means to do it. And I think a lot of the stories are that way when you, when, you know, when they get up on the podium, it sort of gives you a reality check about how now everything is granted to you and not everybody has the same road, you know, as easy road. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I haven't heard one speech where they, it sounded like their road was, was very easy. I mean, I guess an easy is a relative term, um, and, and so to speak. But at the same time, struggle is struggle. And, you know, your struggle is going to be different from someone else's. And what you may deem as difficult may be different from someone else. But nonetheless, you don't get through – you don't get to that point by being real easy. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. No, and, you know, it, uh, I like the show Undrafted because it sort of gives you a perspective on the fact that some players just don't make it to the regular roster. They're put on the on the taxi, taxi squad for a season or two before they even make the, the practice squad roster. Um, so I, I really enjoy that show because it's kind of it, – it, it goes deep into a reality state where these guys are laying everything on the line just to make an NFL roster. And some people, if if you didn't see it with the show, you would never realize what a struggle it is just to make a 53-man roster. The 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 fact that you're privileged to earn, you know, uh, 500,000 or 800,000 a year when you make the roster, sort of a gratifying uh, end result. I mean, in terms of money in that aspect, but in terms of just being on an NFL roster, it's 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 just a huge hurdle. Does it, you know? We watch it on Sunday when the final rosters are set for the season. And you're like, you don't even think twice about it. But when you start, you know, diving into the fact of the journey and how the beginning to the end, uh, it's it's pretty intense. Definitely agree. Now, we can't leave the broadcast without us uh, just letting everybody know we are going to be down under starting 
this weekend and the week after the uh, Gridiron Queensland season, the Gold Coast Stingrays, uh, and also the Logan City Jets and uh, the top-notch teams there as well, uh, the Brisbane uh, Saints, and I'm forgetting uh, oh, the Griffith Thunder now. Um, and so those squads, and I'm missing two more teams at this point. But anyways, Great Iron Queensland, uh, the women's league kicks, kicked off this past weekend. And I want to give a shout-out to our No Joke Football supporter, Lauren Evans, the QB. And so Lauren, uh, by the way, uh, Troy, uh, her raise scored 102 points. She's on her own. And so there's a huddle highlight on our uh, Facebook page. You can go check it out. And so 102 to 0 against the Brisbane Saints, their inaugural squad. So the Saints got introduced to Queensland football really quick. It's sort of a blink of an eye. It's like a, 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 you got to equate 102 to 0. That would be you're scoring almost on every possession pretty much, right, for, for so many quarters. Yeah, that sounded like Pretty no much mercy. That's, that's what it sounded like. Wow. Yeah, wow. so I want to give uh, – yeah. So, Lauren, if you're listening, badass is the only word we can say about you. Badass. And go, uh, the Goldstone, uh, Goldstone, uh, Gold Coast Stingrays, if I can get my, my tongue untongued. Uh, Gold Coast Stingrays, uh, 102 to, to open the season uh, in the Queensland um, League. And then uh, Kanisha – Kanisha uh, also, uh, Sims, we want to give a shout-out to her. And then our other uh, No Joke Football supporter, um, who was not feeling too odd, by the way, Troy, uh, Christy Moran was under the weather with some uh, feverish feelings and wasn't feeling as hot as possible, but she still mustered through and played her heart out. And so uh, her Jets took care of the very tough uh, Bayside Ravens, 48-28. to uh, Bayside, uh, very impressive last year uh, in terms of uh, the season, uh, first season for them, but they've come back a little stronger. So 48-28, uh, to 28 and the uh, Special K, as, we, as she is known by, Special K, even under the weather, sort of like a la, um, you want, I can't remember what, Chicago Bears member uh, when, uh, uh, God, I can't remember his name right now. What's, his, what's that big running back in history? Walter Payton. There you go. How can we forget that guy? <laughs> Anyways, Special K in the same motion as as uh, Walter Payton was uh, during that uh, real bad game where he had the flu and just mustering things through. So, you know, hats off to her for just mustering through the game and then getting it done. So uh, well, wish her a recovery and get back on her feet and, uh, and doing that. But she's been working out. And you can catch her highlights also on our uh, – Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash no joke football. And that's our brand page. And you got some videos there of her also working out. So thank you to Lauren and Christy for an amazing opening weekend. So week one in the books for Gridiron Queensland, as we said earlier before, as the NFL season kicks into play, so does the season in Aussie land. So a new uh, Gridiron New South Wales will kick in to gear in about uh, the end of August here on the 27th. And then we'll be covering them as well. And so those two leagues as well. And uh, Gridiron Victoria uh, ended up playing their season early this year. And that was earlier uh, in April when it ended. So we got Queensland and New South Wales uh, during the NFL season all the way through January, uh, end of December to early January. So 
Congratulations to Lauren for the 102.0. Should be, I think that's probably a women's gridiron record. It's got to be a record somewhere for women's football, 102 to zero. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I think that's it. We'll, be talking Neil we'll have to get with Neil and see if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to download with Neil. Uh, the the other team was the Griffith University Gridiron Football. Their debut, the Thunder, that's their name. So Griffith uh, Uni Thunder. They beat the Moreton Bay Ray, Ray, Raptors uh, 70 to zero. So 70 to zero. Congratulations to them on their opening weekend. And so for the Raptors, I'm assuming they were also uh, in the same boat as the Saints in awe because you put up 70 points, you, you're pretty much not getting the ball very well or you're handing it over very quickly. So uh, hopefully the Raptors and the Saints will improve in week two here uh, and see who wins. Uh, always, I always, liked, I always love the games where the uh, winless teams eventually during each slate of games or each scheduled week they end up meeting each other because it's kind of a big game. You know, who's going to actually win? So you, you get that one win for the season at least. So I always, it's always interesting to me to, to, to go watch that game where you got undefeated, uh, un, I mean, winless, team, winless teams, and all of a sudden they get an opportunity to one of them is going to win. So it's, I guess it's just, you know, give them an award for effort in that sense on their same level. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to everybody down under. And we're going to be following on Twitter – if you guys have any correspondence in uh, Queensland or in New South Wales, uh, Gridiron Down Under, you can follow them on Facebook, Gridiron Down Under, exactly what it, what it says. Gridiron Down Under uh, would love to have uh, correspondence as well. And so the recap for the Queensland's 2016 season, which opened on Saturday, uh, all the results and the standings are going to be there, so you can uh, follow them. You can also follow uh, our Facebook page, and we'll have the link there. So you can go to gridirondownunder.com. So that'll be our actual network partner for the season. So congratulations, like I said, to Lauren Evans. And Lauren uh, ended up doing Game 1 uh, Huddle Highlight. And you can catch it also on our Gridiron Beauties page. And you can catch the uh, couple highlights of the three touchdowns that she was involved in in the 102-0 victory over the Brisbane Saints. So, um, God, the time had just just fly by when we were just chatting football and stuff like that. So, um, Troy, uh, anything with training camp that stands out to you? We, I know we talked about it at the beginning of the hour, but anything in training camp that stood out to you or a couple key, key things that, that have, you know, scratched your head and go, you know, what are we doing here? I know uh, what's-his-name's debut in, in, with Houston wasn't as impressive as we thought it would be, but obviously that's a work in progress with uh, Osweiler. Uh, honestly, I didn't think he would be that impressive. I think it's going to take him some time to work up with it. I mean, he's a, you know he's a young kid, and he's in a new offense. But I, I'm trying to still figure out how he commanded that much money because he didn't play very well at Denver in spots, and he was overtaken by Peyton Manning, who was the lot was the lowest rated quarterback in the league at that point. Um, so. I didn't. I don't really expect Osweiler to be much of a difference. As a matter of fact, I thought they should have stood Pat at, at the quarterback position, but um, or maybe you know, I, I'm not sure what they're what they're doing down there in Houston on offense. But I, I don't. I'm not sure how quickly they're going to get it together, or if they're going to get it together at all. I think the the biggest thing that I've seen out of training camp is this is one year where not a lot of stars have been injured in training camp. And I'm going to knock on wood. 
going to do that because, I mean, most of the time you look forward to, well, not look forward to, but you're dreading hearing a lot of the stars getting hurt. I think what teams are starting to do is, is scale back the, you know, the physical workouts because these guys put in so much work in the off season as far as getting in shape that they try to kind of scale these things back. Um, but in retrospect, I mean, but then on the flip side of it, what you're seeing in the preseason games, you're seeing not a lot of teams out there are tackling very well. All of these things are to be expected because you don't get a lot of physical work in, in, in the camps. So it's going to be interesting to see which teams are actually going to catch up and say, okay, now we've solidified what we do best on, on defense because they don't get the contact. They don't get to get a chance to hit as much. And I want to see what teams start to actually put it together quicker. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, at this point, a lot of question marks pretty much in a lot of teams. That's why I, I don't put too much, you know, too much on the on the preseason until like maybe the third and fourth game because that's when the, the, the real rosters are, are going to start to get finalized and you're going to start to see some key components being added to the roster. And then you can really dive into each individual add-on and then kind of realize that. So we're going to be diving into that probably uh, in the next two weeks, and then we'll kind of really understand, you know, what weapons are being brought on for a lot of teams. So we'll dive into our own teams, um, as I was mentioning earlier to uh, Nkishi. So we'll start to dive into our own teams in terms of training camp. You know, for me it would be the Rams, for you the Redskins, and for her Dallas, and then maybe dive into each each division, you know, just to pinpoint some of those individuals, um, um, you know, in that aspect of it. Um, and then maybe it's some off-ball, off-ball, uh, you know, teams that you probably are keeping an eye on as well. So we'll, we'll kind of dive into those as well. Um, I forgot to mention, also, you can follow Women's Gridiron Leagues of Australia on Facebook, Women's Gridiron Leagues of Australia on Facebook all season, along with the Gridiron Down Under. And so uh, you can follow them as well. And those who get the results week to week. We'll post them on our Facebook page as well. But if if we you know if you can't get to our Facebook page for whatever reason, um, directly the women's uh, women's uh, Gridiron Leagues of Australia or Gridiron Down Under will be the uh, the two networks that we're going to be working with uh, week to week just to get the recaps on all the games and and get, give us a feel of what's happening down under. Um, so are you sort of excited now, Troy? We got women's Gridiron in Australia, and then we get the full blown. NFL in the U.S. So it's, you know, complimentary there. Uh, we always have women's gridiron. It's always on. Once the season ends in Australia, guess what, buddy? We go to Europe and we start in the States once again. So it's kind of year-round. So for a junkie like you, 24-7 football is always on. So that's just and, – and we're not even talking college yet. So it's like crazy. Yep. Zero, zero complaints for me. I love this type of year. I love this kind of year. I, I just – this is what I live for, man. I love, love, love football. Anybody that knows me knows that is an absolute fact. Now, Troy, uh, you know, we, we, we got the project going this year. We're going to be uh, diving into the uh, fall. Check out our store shop at Zazzle.com. We are still donating $3 on any chalk line to the Women's Outback Australia team that will be trying to compete in the 2017 IFAB World Championships. Um, so if you guys are inclined, please head over to the Zazzle shop at zazzle.com forward slash gridiron beauties. And through this week uh, till Thursday, which is two days from now, 30% off. Use the special code at the upper right-hand corner when you go to the shop at zazzle.com forward slash gridiron beauties. 
And uh, we'd really, really thank everybody that has purchased from us. Uh, so far, we've raised $180. Uh, we started this back in May. I know it's not a lot of money, but uh, we put together about $180 for the Outback team. Uh, our goal is obviously to raise as much money as possible. We set the, the bar very high. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to disappoint everybody, but I really want to let everybody know that uh, we're not ballooning, as they say. <laughs> Things are not flying out the shelves, as, as people would say. Uh, so we are doing our part to try to get as much little money that we're going to be able to get uh, spread out. They're going to, the money's going to go first and foremost to try to help out some of the uh, no-joke football supporters that have supported our project first and foremost, spread the love to them first for being supportive. And then obviously anything after that, we try to, you know, we, you know, put together and see if we can do that for them. So, um, so go to the shop at Zazzle.com forward slash Square Iron Beauties. I also want to thank our partners and helping us out, uh, Block Talk Radio, for giving us the big, big, awesome platform that we have here. And all, to all our listeners, uh, please share our podcast, share it everywhere so that people are aware that women do play American football and they play their game and their game is no joke football. So we want to make sure we get the campaign out. Also want to give a shout out to the uh, Like a Girl campaign who have supported us uh, for the last two years. And they've, they've always been very uh, supportive with us at the Always Brand campaign. So give a shout out if you haven't gone to that on Twitter at Always. And you can always go to the YouTube channel at Always Brand as well. You can catch all the Like a Girl videos as well. And they're pretty awesomely made. So um, at this point... You know, Twitter has made us number one on Twitter. And I want to thank right now Tori Wilson, Kishi Free, Eric Lynn Anderson, Eric Brown, uh, and uh, obviously BJ Coletta for, for giving us the platform that we're in now. But uh, on Twitter, um, I put in last week, I put in to be verified, Troy. So I haven't heard back. So it'll be a while before we're verified, I guess. But uh, other than that, I want to give a shout out to all our fans. All our devoted players, all our no-joke football supporters right now, personally, right here, thank you very much for making us the number one platform on Twitter for your source for covering women's American football globally. So we do a great job. I want to give a shout-out to also our network partners for doing an amazing job of keeping us up to date on everything that's happening overseas. Um, and we cover the states. We cover North America. We cover Europe. We cover Australia. We cover uh, Guam as well. So no continent pretty much left. Uh, we're even trying to cover Japan at this point. Uh, we haven't got a reliable source at this point. But, but overall, we are, we are covering it. And I want to be uh, you know, very upfront here and be very gracious and very thankful for the amount of people that supply us the information uh, for us to give it out to you guys on Twitter as well as on Facebook and, on, and all the amazing women you want to see amazing women, you go to Instagram, Instagram forward slash Gridiron Beauties, and you can see the scroll on our gallery. Those are amazing women, MVP-style caliber players in women's American football. So if you have um, anything to add to the platform, please direct messages on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, we're more than happy to hear it, and you can always call into the show if you need to, um, if you want something you know, that we want to voice out for you as well. So uh, as the fall season comes into play, Get your gear at Zazzle.com for slash Gridiron Beauties. Help support the women's uh, Australian Outback team for their trip to the IFAB World Championships in 2017. Really appreciate that. And then we're going to be covering NFL. Uh, we're also going to be covering 
college football, which uh, Mr. Wilson dives in very thoroughly. So if you uh, you know you want to dive into college football, this is the czar of college football. That's why we brought him on to the show because he pretty much knows his stuff. So uh, Troy, it's going to be great to have you uh, another season. The first season was awesome. This is the second season we have you with college football. So it's going to be great for fans to dive into your insights in terms of, you know, we talked about the SEC. We also talked about some of the lower conferences that you mentioned before and then some of the key players that you probably don't see on TV as often week to week. So that that was actually very enlightening for me because I've never followed college football in, in any realm, you know, focus-wise. So for you to dive into that was uh, very interesting for me. Hey, that's what I'm here for, man. I, you know, my love, my love of, of football, period, and, you know, the college and the pro game. But um, I love the college football game, so I'm here to give any kind of insight and um, just just pass on my passion of the game. Uh, and so uh, hopefully, I, you know, everyone will enjoy what I have to what I have to bring to it. And you know, I'm open to any kind of suggestions. If you want to, uh, you know, if you wanted me to talk about your team or any player specifically, just go ahead and hit me up on Twitter. That is Troy Wilson underscore one at twitter.com. So just hit me up. Yeah, and that's that's what we're gonna do. We're probably gonna end up doing sort of a hashtag motion going down the pipe because a lot of people. Um, I like to use a hashtag because um, if you use a hashtag for um, communicating with you, at least you can just, you know, search the hashtag and you got everybody's questions right there instead of having to scroll down on your own timeline. So down the road here, we're probably going to make some sort of a, you know, a hashtag for Troy or ask Troy, some sort of hashtag for that. And then we're able able to communicate that way a lot better with the fans as well. So um, I want to let everybody know, go to our Facebook page, our Facebook page, I know uh, I, I really appreciate everybody's likes, but likes doesn't do anything for us. So what we need to do now is if you want to get the word out on Women's Gridiron and how big it is internationally as well as in the States, when you go to our Facebook page, please share the post. you love a story, share it. If you love a player that we are focusing on, share it with your other friends. Okay, let's, let's drive this madness that is no-joke football. Okay, let's express it out to the regular folks that don't even know that women's American football exists. And the only way to do that is let's get the project going here. So the No Joke Football Project, you go to our Facebook page, share any post that you love. I don't, I'm not asking you to share every post, but share anything that you feel worthy that should be spread out. MVP players, um, you know, we got players from all over the, all over the world, MVP players, um, like Santa Jarvison from the uh, Helsinki Roosters. You got Sarah He Crispy from uh, the Vietnamese up in Mexico. You got, uh, obviously, you know, the stars in the U.S., you know, uh, Allison Hamlin as well in the U.S. as well, Congetta uh, Grisby. Uh, so we got a lot of players uh, in, you know, in every aspect of the global scheme of things in the full kid game as well as the non-full kid game. So make sure you share our post. And then that will drive a little bit more awareness to get everybody to understand that women do play American football and they play their game and their game is no joke football. Um, so thanks to ultimatesportstalk.com. You can go to ultimatesportstalk.com, check out all the stuff, uh, major sports, including MMA and WWE. And I know Troy's a big WWE fan as well. So go to ultimatesportstalk.com, check it out, major sports plus MMA and WWE. 
Um, Troy, anything else before we get out of here? I know it's it's been a good weekend, preseason football. Looking forward to another slate of preseason football coming this weekend. Plus, we are looking forward to Legends Playoffs, the conference championships. Seattle Miss taking on the Dallas Desire, as well as the Atlanta Steam taking on the Chicago Bliss. If you missed any of the things that we just talked about, the podcast will be up in a couple minutes after we get out of here. And you can rewind it and replay it and give, uh, get Troy Wilson's insights on the Legends Football League Conference Championships coming up this August 20th at Showware Center in uh, Seattle. So uh, what do you think, Troy? Too much? No, man, I'm ready to go, man. I, I, I have tickets to the Redskins preseason game this weekend against the Jets, so I'm going to be covering that. And I'm also going to be having fun while I'm doing it. So I'm looking forward to another weekend filled with football from Thursday to Monday. I, I cannot wait. So now, uh, you guys, you can follow Troy at TroyWilson underscore one. And uh, you're probably going to get some uh, nice NFL insights from some of the games he's watching, as well as his Redskins insights. So if you're a Redskins fan, make sure you go follow at TroyWilson underscore one. If you're a Cowboys fan, which uh, she's absent right now, um, and Troy probably doesn't approve of this, but if you're a Cowboys fan, you go following Kishi's Cuties for all the insights there. So Kishi's Cuties, K-E-S-H-I-S-Q-U-T-I-E-S. Uh, we're just joking. We, we love Kishi. Um, and if you want to follow anything that's going on with uh, the women's game, plus NFL news and um, insights, as well, you can go to our Twitter feed at Gridiron Beauty, Gridiron Beauty with an I, not an S. Uh, so it's one S instead of beauties. You'll get it. So just follow our link, right? Uh, and then if you can go to Facebook page as well. So, uh, Troy, uh, next week I think uh, I don't have anybody lined up. That doesn't mean anybody's not going to come on. We did invite a couple people to come on. But uh, overall, we're going to be talking pretty much uh, NFL preseason. And then next week we're going to be obviously recapping – the games in the uh, Legends Football League Conference Championships. And then the week after, we're going to view, the obviously, the video and everything, and we'll do more thorough there. And then looking forward to Legends Cup on the 27th, as well as um, the week three preseason when that happens. And then getting ready for the NFL kickoff, I think it's September 11th, right? Yes, it is. All right. So for Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez, and for the absent uh, Inkishi Free, she'll return next week. Uh, thank you for listening to the Great Iron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio, ultimatesportstalk.com. And have a great weekend, everybody. We'll catch you here next Tuesday for the Blitz and talking more NFL preseason. See you guys. <laughs>